Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. This is a 30-minute show dedicated to sharing an inside perspective of the Epicurean world here on Nantucket Island. You will hear from those voices who've helped create and represent this fascinating place. And lastly, we hope to educate on wine, healthy cooking, and the agricultural and sustainable community here on island. Good afternoon. Thank you for listening to Camille's Demi Hour. I am Camille Broder, host of the show, and today we have Alberto Freya. He is the expert manager for the Winery of the Year by Wine Enthusiasts this year, Fontana Freda. He is here to have a fabulous dinner. It is his first time on Nantucket and to learn more about the region of Piedmont and Alba, where he is specifically from and where Fontana Freda originated. So welcome, Alberto. It's a pleasure to have my first friend from Alba here. Thank you very much, Camille. It's honor, a privilege. Uh, my job uh, brings me in amazing places, and uh, thus far, this is uh, probably one of the most amazing. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day, and I'm ready to answer any uh, question. <laughs> there are a lot of different positions and professions within the wine industry. There's winemaker, vintner, which is sort of more of the wine owner or the producer of sorts. Then there's exporter, brand ambassador. What do you do specifically as an export manager? Yeah, my role is uh, export area manager for the winery, uh, which means, uh, first of all, that uh, the winery is inside an organization with different roles, uh, which is already quite a surprise in an area where uh, Piedmont, where I come from, where uh, most of the wineries are family-owned wineries, small realities, where uh, we export in uh, 75 countries in the world. Is that high uh, for, for what you produce and for your winery? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. <laughs> What's the average running. for those who don't know? How many cases do you produce a year? So I can uh, tell you the numbers of uh, bottle of Barolo, uh, which is 8% of the entire population. We produce almost uh, 800,000 bottles of Barolo every year. And uh, we produce out of um, 300 acres of land mm-hmm. uh, in the Barolo area, but plus uh, a network of uh, vine growers uh, that uh, sells their grapes every year to the winery. Do you own the 300 acres? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah exactly. and, then, and then you also acquire grapes from the farmers and from yeah. the co-ops. Do you yeah. call them co-ops or what do you call them in, no, we in, don't. in Italy? Uh, it's a kind of uh, quite u- unique uh, relationship that we have with them because uh, nothing is written. First of all, it's a matter of trust. And uh, Fontana Fred has been there forever. And they work from father to son with uh, the um, Fontana Fred reality uh, just uh, because uh, it's, it has been always the, the most important uh, purchaser of grapes in the area. So there are uh, maybe other wineries that um, also have a, a big size, but uh, there are many that are co-ops or other ones that ju- they just bottle bulk wine. That commitment and relationship without a signature legal binding, is this common practice within Italy in general, do you believe? Or specifically it, in different, maybe different pockets in regions? It is if you are in a, a wine country and uh, you talk about uh, agriculture. I don't think that uh, uh, most of the small farmers that uh, work with us uh, uh, will uh, consider to start producing on their own because uh, most of them are so small that uh, the investment that they should do in order to start producing wine uh, should be uh, that high that uh, it's non-economical for them. 
but this doesn't mean that we have a kind of control over them because every year all the prices of grapes uh, are decided at a level of a consortium mm-hmm. of producers uh, and so uh, it's beneficial mutual uh, uh, benefits uh, they're happy because uh, they don't have uh, worry invest about making worry the about, wine yeah. and uh, get to that level some farmers just want to farm in their grapes they don't yeah. necessarily want to make exactly. wine exactly right exactly so uh, your background, obviously you grew up in Alba, you're surrounded by food and wine there. Did you ever consider not being in this industry? Uh, yeah, I go back uh, to what you just said to the first question, because uh, I tell you how I became the export area manager for uh, the United States. Uh, actually, I cover the entire Americas and part of Europe. I was born in Alba, uh, 1983 which was also, by the way, a b- very bad vintage for Barolo. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I grew up in the area. And um, uh, literally, uh, by the time that I shaped my education, I saw the entire area booming uh, for uh, tourists coming from all over the world. I would say that uh, when I was younger, yes, I liked wine, but I didn't have that much knowledge. Uh, I had passion, but I wouldn't, uh, I didn't know that I would uh, eventually one day made my career in that, uh, in that position. So first, uh, I wanted to interact with uh, all these people coming from all over the world. So I studied foreign languages uh, and uh, I started uh, working uh, in um, uh, the hospitality in the area, which means uh, I was part of an association organizing uh, events, tourist uh, activities, uh, mm-hmm. guided tours to wineries. So more and more, it was necessary for me to have more knowledge because uh, people coming from Piedmont, uh, they come because they want to know everything about Barolo, Barbaresco, the terroir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I shaped uh, my, my career based uh, on the demand of people <laughs> coming from uh, outside, which right. is the best, uh, well, the best thing. You're a true hospitality person because you wanted to service and give them that education. So you went straight to the heart, which was going to the wineries. Absolutely. And I, loved, uh, I had a lot of fun uh, doing it because, uh, say, my first uh, almost 10 years of uh, career were hosting people from all around the world, having uh, tasting dinners uh, with them. And then uh, at some point uh, uh, with Fontana Fredda, which is uh, one in terms of hospitality, one of the reference points in the area, I had the chance to join their, um, uh, their export department. And uh, in the beginning, the natural evolution of uh, what I did in the territory was being brand ambassador. The brand ambassador is the person that uh, just go around the world and uh, do the same thing that I was doing there. So Mm -hmm. hosting dinners, uh, talking about the wines, uh, uh, doing education. Of course, in the meanwhile, I had education myself as uh, AIS, Sommelier Association, the Mm -hmm. Italian Sommelier Association. Then uh, the next step is uh, becoming uh, export area manager, which means uh, that you combine this passion and this education uh, together with uh, actually selling wine. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we go around the world also to to sell. You're not just representing the brands mm -hmm. and marketing the brands. You you have some responsibility to actually have a business exchange (laughs) and to actually sell the wine. Yes, exactly. Uh, That's the... Uh, also the challenging and uh, I had a lot of fun uh, to do that too because uh, selling uh, a wine like Barolo uh, doesn't mean that you are stressed with uh, uh, big uh, goals. It means that uh, you need to educate people and create lo- lifelong ambassadors uh, around the world. 
So the more you are able to involve uh, restaurants, uh, your partners, uh, your importers, uh, distributors that sell the wine, uh, maybe you have the chance to spend uh, time on the road with them. Sometimes you invite them at the winery and they come and mm-hmm. they, uh, so it's a circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do again what I was doing in the past uh, right. back in Piedmont. Uh, and uh, it's actually them selling the wine for me. Uh, and I'm uh, still doing basically what I do the best, which is uh, talking about the wine and having fun. <laughs> uh, you are listening to Alberto Freya. He is the expert manager for Fontana Freda, which is the winery of the year by wine enthusiasts this year. And he's explaining his role as the expert manager and the difference between brand ambassador and uh, the, sort of the winemaker and uh, the other roles that are employed by producers. So you were talking about what you do and how you got to this role, which is a beautiful evolution. It shows your true passion to learn about the region and really share where you're from. So tell us, and to the audience who have not been to Barolo, I've been fortunate, I've been twice. It's one of my favorite regions in the world that I've visited thus far. It's magical in a lot of ways, but I'll let you reveal some of the the beauties and what makes Barolo one of the most important wine regions, not only in Italy, but in the world. It, it would take uh, a lot of time, so I try to uh, g- uh, give uh, some uh, quick tips. First of all, Barolo is important because uh, uh, you have uh, wh- whenever you talk about Barolo to people, uh, you see their eyes, they already fantasize. <laughs> Barolo is known as the king of Italian wines. And that's a word that uh, represents uh, the importance, the historical role this wine had, uh, and uh, I would say the power. Barolo and Barbaresco are two wines that are the son of a uh, great variety that we have in Piedmont, Nebbiolo. And Nebbiolo is uh, one of the most important grape varieties of Italy, maybe in the world. So why do you think people's eyes light up and that Barolo, even the name Barolo has a good sound to it. It makes you feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Why are there all these connotations and associations with Barolo being so special? In this case, uh, I would say my uh, own personal explanation. When you have uh, Barolo, you can uh, enjoy a wine that... uh, uh, has been aging uh, bef- uh, since before you were born. Like I, I said earlier that I was born in 1983, uh, bad vintage, but 1982 was amazing. <laughs> and I had many 1982 during my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, nowadays you can still enjoy uh, wines that are from uh, 1958, 1967, to just mention a few amazing vintages. So mm-hmm. this is an amazing future and uh, it's so evocative to think uh, uh, what people were doing, uh, uh, what was happening in the world when this wine was created, and still nowadays I can enjoy this mm-hmm. wine. It's uh, like uh, uh, um, a treasure that you can uh, yeah. preserve forever. I also feel is the fact that Nebbiolo doesn't grow like Nebbiolo anywhere else in the mm-hmm. world. So that varietal is very special and unique to that terroir. And the fact that all the Italians know that it's really good. So if all the mm-hmm. Italians know Barolo, yeah. <laughs> then, yes. then, then, then there's a fact there. They take pride in their own wines, but they all know that there's good wines that come from Barolo. So that's proof there. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, behind uh, Barolo, uh, the, um, one of the very fascinating parts is that uh, even in uh, wineries that uh, bigger production like us, uh, Everything is uh, tailor-made because Barolo means uh, hand-picking, hand selection of the grapes, uh, takes time for Nebbiolo to age. And these are now rules, correct? 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, since 1980, mm-hmm. uh, Barolo has a DOCG uh, status, uh, denominazione di origine controllata and guaranteed. So certified and guaranteed means uh, that uh, there are standards uh, by law mm-hmm. that uh, Nebbiolo in a certain uh, restricted area mm-hmm. must fit. Uh, like uh, starting from the vineyard, uh, altitude, uh, exposure to the sun, uh, maximum uh, yield, and for the wine making, uh, uh, minimum uh, aging. This means that uh, Barolo is available in very limited quantity. So that's another uh, feature that uh, makes Barolo so unique. And uh, you mentioned uh, that Italians are aware that Barolo is a treasure. Uh, there's this uh, dichotomy in Barolo, that uh, Barolo, yes, it's our treasure, but uh, if it wasn't uh, for uh, the export, uh, it couldn't probably survive because uh, 90% of Barolo is uh, consumed, sold all over the world and not in Italy. So what do the Italians think about that? What <laughs> <laughs> <that> a shame. <laughs> Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, Italian drink only special occasions. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, when then... I was there, it was mostly dolcetto. Dolcetto was more of the table wine, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, Barbera's, and then um, Barbaresco's here and there, but then the Brolo's were even for special occasions, mm-hmm. even for the Italians. Yeah, even uh, even for, I would say, uh, right now, I have the feeling, uh, I mean, the data, no, no, not yet uh, testify that, but I have the feeling that, uh, especially between uh, younger consumers, uh, this is changing, because people uh, drink uh, less often, but they drink premium wines. And so uh, Barolo is uh, consumed, uh, at least locally, uh, more and more by uh, people like me. I consider myself a millennial. I am a millennial, actually. Right, yeah. (laughs) And the millennials I read in in Forbes, their perspective of wine for the future is that they want a really good deal, but they also want a worldview and and an experience through the wine. What else are you learning in your travels about the American consumer and what they're thinking about wine and then specifically Barolo? Uh, yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, America is uh, so diverse uh, and uh, wherever you go, everybody has uh, heard at least once uh, of uh, Barolo. So they are all curious. Uh, some people, uh, the first time they approach uh, maybe Barolo, they are surprised because uh, the, the taste profile is completely different from what they have locally. I mean, uh, you drink a lot of uh, uh, domestic wine and uh, Barolo is everything. Acidity, tannins, uh, it's big, yeah. but uh, also it's uh, light in color, it's yeah. soft and elegant at the same time. Yeah. So it's something uh, different. I bet one of the biggest challenge for uh, Americans is that uh, you're always in a rush and we're not. We as Italians and especially we as a laid back uh, area in Piedmont uh, where everything happens very slowly, where we have uh, time and patience for the wine to age. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, you come here and you say, okay, this wine is good now, but if you, if you have the patience to age it seven eight, ten years, is going to be awesome. And people uh, <laughs> say, what? I want to drink it now. <laughs> so what is Piedmont and Barolo, the region, how are they responding to that? Are they putting out new wines? I know that I personally will, will buy the younger wines just because they are more drinkable. Are you appealing and responding to that demand? Yes, yes and no. Um, I would say there are many uh, ways to answer uh, this and um, I guess nowadays uh, uh, the, the, the most beneficial way is that uh, the spotlight of uh, Barolo is uh, showing uh, the rest of the region of Piedmont that it's 
entirely a region of very good wines, like Dolcetto that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Barbera. And the white and, wines, uh, which are amazing. Arnez is just, I think, exactly. a fantastic wine. Hard to find sometimes, but such good value and so fresh and delicious. Yeah, Arnez, uh, Gavi. And we should uh, talk, of course, about uh, uh, Moscato di Asti because, uh, I mean, Americans love uh, Moscato, but when they try the Moscato d'Asti, it's something uh, different uh, when they taste uh, some premium Moscato d'Asti. So it's beneficial because Piedmont is becoming uh, a well-known region, uh, not only by Barolo. So the, uh, the notoriety of the region uh, is uh, of premium wines entirely. And so uh, when we want to suggest people to consume a, a younger and more fresh wine, we uh, would definitely move to Barbera or a Dolcetto. Uh, because back in the days, uh, one of the answers was... Uh, Okay, let's try to have a Barolo that uh, fit a little bit more uh, the standards of American palate. But uh, this was something that uh, we tried. I think that we are already through that. I don't want to be too technical, but uh, uh, when people uh, ask for a Barolo nowadays, more and more they ask for the authentic Barolo. So mm-hmm. they don't want a modern style. They don't want uh, too much impact of, on, of the oak mm-hmm. inside the wine. Yeah, they are ready to be challenged by Barolo because more and more people uh, know mm-hmm. what to expect. Of course, even inside Barolo, uh, that's the second part of uh, my long answer. The second uh, part is that uh, even in Barolo, something has is, is changed because there are techniques that allow even being traditional uh, to have a more drinkable Barolo when it's young. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, like using a different uh, temperature during the fermentation or uh, uh, during using a, a different kind of oak uh, during uh, the, the evolution of the wine. Uh, so to shape this big power of mm-hmm. Barolo. Uh, back in the days, Barolo was meant to uh, be aged forever yeah. and to be approached after several years. Nowadays, you can approach you can Barolo. still drink even, it, right? Yeah. It's not going to be at its full capacity and its full mm-hmm. potential. Yeah. But it absolutely can still be delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is Camille Broder, host of Camille's Demi Hour, and we are speaking with Alberto Freya from Fontana Freda. And we were just discussing the American palate and how we are interested in more younger, approachable wines and how Barolo typically is. You should wait. For Barolo, you typically should wait. But that's interesting that there are techniques to actually have it be a little bit more palatable, more interesting, very drinkable when it's young. Why don't we talk about Fontana Freda? We haven't spoken enough about the historic producer in the in the property in Barolo. Would you, would you like to talk about Fontana Freda, the land? Absolutely. So Fontana Freda is uh, one of the most uh, historical, important uh, wineries uh, uh, in the era of Barolo. Fontana Freda this year turned 160 years old. It was founded in 1858 by the King of Italy. At the time, it was not yet the King of Italy. I'm talking about Vittorio Emanuele II. And uh, it was all uh, because of a love story. Uh, he was oh, you love. Italians. Absolutely. It's a typical, <laughs> you always tell the story better, so I'll just let you tell it. <laughs> it's a typical uh, love story of Italy. <laughs> Uh, the king was in love uh, with a woman and uh, normally people were saying, okay, it was not his wife. Yeah, exactly. It was not his <laughs> wife. It was uh, the official mistress of the king. And this is how everything started because uh, he bought the entire estate uh, an hour and a half from Turin just uh, as a hunting lodge and a beautiful uh, era with a villa and uh, several buildings, historical buildings uh, to spend time with this woman, which was the real owner of the estate. 
their son started uh, 20 years later, 1878, to produce wine. And since then, uh, the production never stopped. Wasn't it taken over at some point by the bank or it wasn't privately owned and then recently private mm-hmm. owners now are running it and really bringing back some energy into the to the winery? Abs- absolutely. Uh, there's a um, uh, history of up and downs uh, in the history of uh, Fontana Fredda. Uh, in uh, 1931, the estate uh, went uh, in the hands of uh, Bank from Tuscany, Monte di Paschi di Siena. Uh, which was the owner for uh, almost 70 years uh, until 2008 when uh, Oscar Farinetti, which is uh, the person from Alba like me that uh, created uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. Wine and food uh, are his passion and uh, is a visionary. And uh, since then, 2008, he flipped over, we can say, uh, the winery. Uh, the biggest goal, having um, clean agriculture, and uh, we are in uh, the year today, after 10 years of uh, management uh, after him, uh, the first uh, harvest uh, the, uh, that will be completely organic uh, will happen this year. So um, new techniques uh, and new sustainability projects overall in the estate. The estate is uh, nowadays uh, 300 acres, uh, I, I said. It's a multitude uh, of projects happening because uh, the wine production is part of the project. But uh, I mentioned that people want to be educated and part of the education is traveling in Piedmont and uh, seeing uh, what's happening. Fontana Fredda is a winery with open gates. The entire uh, estate is under uh, refurbishments. Some... Uh, of the buildings inside the state uh, historically were the private houses of the workers mm-hmm. that uh, lived and uh, worked and lived with the, their family. And nowadays, uh, some of these uh, uh, buildings, which uh, were empty for years, uh, are being refurbished to be a hotel, a hotel with uh, different properties spread out inside uh, the entire state. So it's amazing because at the end of the project, the people will uh, have the possibility to move around the property. Uh, the idea is uh, to have electric carts linking the different uh, buildings, the different oh, wow. areas. Wow. <laughs> so definitely think, something visionary. Do you think that's why you were Winery of the Year? Just because you're really trying to integrate that experience and you really get to be a part of the land and of the estate? I definitely uh, would say that uh, this uh, very important recognition that uh, we obtained this year is a reward for all the efforts that we did during the year in order to convert in organic, improve the quality of the wine, having consistency, uh, but overall for all the projects that uh, are around Fontana Fredda. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you say Fontana Fredda, you talk about one of the most visited winery in Italy. And you talk about a winery which is everywhere uh, in the world with with its wine. Besides that, you talk about uh, still nowadays uh, a kind of village uh, where uh, still uh, you have the feeling uh, when you come uh, that uh, everything uh, is tailor-made as a small uh, Mm family-owned winery. Still Uh, feels very original and authentic. Exactly, exactly. That's great. Well, thank you, Alberto, for joining us today. I know you've had a wonderful dinner at Nantucket Culinary and I know it's sold out. That just shows how much people on Nantucket like Barolo, too. And we welcome you back because this island, one day is just not enough for you. <laughs> so thank you again for joining us today and coming to Nantucket. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for your questions. Uh, and uh, for uh, uh, anybody that wants to know more about Barolo, 20 minutes are not enough. So <laughs> I invite you to come and visit P- Piedmont and Fontana Fredda in the future. Great. Thank you.
If you are interested in tasting or purchasing any Fontana Fredo wines, they are available at Epernay on North Beach Street. And thank you for listening. This is Camille Broderick, host of Camille's Demi Hour. Tune in every weekend, Saturday and Sunday at 12.35 p.m. on Nantucket's NPR station 89.5. And if you would like to hear more of this show or our past shows, you can find Camille's Demi Hour on iTunes. Cheers. Come on.